Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, thank you to Jeff Henderson who donated to the podcasts. I truly do appreciate it. Don't forget, I have several other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, Canada's Great War, Pucks and Cups, and Coast to Coast. They're available on all podcast platforms. And I do them all, writing, the research, everything. And it's a lot of work, and every dollar you give, I'll keep it all going. So I truly appreciate it, and I'll make sure I thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily history videos, and my username is Bairdo37. You can also find weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. And for transcripts of every single episode I've ever done, just go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. Due to its location just west of Lake Manitoba, Dauphin was a common spot for the indigenous to travel through during the pre-colonial era. Due to the fact the area was near major bodies of water with nearby rivers, it was also one of the first places Europeans came to when they began to journey to the west. The indigenous who occupied the land were the Anishinaabe and the Sioux, and as time went on and fur traders began to intermarry with the indigenous, a new culture would emerge in the area, the Métis. Dauphin Lake was also an important stopping place for the indigenous. The lake itself was part of the bed of a bay of the prehistoric Lake Agassi. Today, Dauphin sits on Treaty 2 land, signed in August 1871 at Manitoba House. When explorer Pierre Gaultier journeyed through the area in 1741, he would name the nearby Lake Dauphin after the heir to the French throne at the time. Fort Dauphin would be established as a Hudson's Bay trading post, but it would not last long and eventually was abandoned. It would be some time before settlement arrived, though. While the Métis and others occupied the land for over a century, things would begin to change in the 1880s as new settlers started to arrive. Some of the first settlers to the area were Tom Whitmore, John Edwards, as well as others named Blackmore Parr, Corey McLaren. The group left with six weeks' provisions, traveling 150 kilometers to get to the region. It was on their journey they would come across a shack owned by the Neagle brothers, who would come to the area in 1883 and spend time trapping. Only Whitmore and Edwards would actually stay in the community for the long term. In 1887, the first general store was built by Captain Dave McIntosh, who was a veteran of the Northwest Resistance of two years previous. In 1888, a blacksmith shop was built by George Barker. 
Barker would go on to become the first mayor of Dauphin, while McIntosh would become the Justice of the Peace. Two early settlements sprang up at this time. One was Gartmore and the other was Old Dauphin. These two sites would coexist for about a decade and a half until 1896 when the rail line came through. Rather than going to one village or the other, it went right between the two. At the same time, Ukrainian immigrants were starting to arrive in the area, and the settlement of Dauphin would begin to see its population rise, while Gartmore faded away into history. In 1896, a child was born named William Barker. Growing up on the family farm, he learned to ride horses, shoot, and work hard at his father's sawmill. An excellent shot, he was adept at shooting while on the move. As a child, he excelled at school, but was often away because he was hunting for food for the workers at the sawmill or working on the family farm. In 1914, he would enlist at the start of the First World War and was sent to England in June of 1915, then to France in September. Transferring to the Royal Flying Corps, he would shoot down his first German plane on July 21st and another in August. For his actions, he was mentioned in dispatches for the first time. On November 15, 1916, he observed German troops preparing for an attack during the Battle of the Somme, and he had the Canadian artillery fire on the target he provided, breaking up the German formations. He would be awarded the Military Cross for this action. In April 1917, just before Vimy Ridge, he spotted 1,000 German troops sheltering in nearby trenches, and he ordered artillery fire on their positions. He would receive a bar on his Military Cross for that action. Barker would continue to exemplify himself in the First World War, earning a Distinguished Service Order and Bar, another bar on his Military Cross, two Silver Medal of Valors, and two more mentions and dispatches. Then, on October 27, 1918, while flying back to his aircraft depot, he attacked a German plane and shot it down, and he then went into a dogfight with 15 German planes, something he called careless. Flying above the Canadian Corps, he was severely wounded and landed inside Allied lines, where his life was saved by the men of the Royal Air Force Kite Balloon Section. The fuselage of his aircraft would be recovered and today sits at the Canadian War Museum. For his actions on that day, he was awarded the Victoria Cross. Barker would stay in the hospital clinging to life until January 1919. In March 1919, he was not able to walk even a few paces to receive his Victoria Cross at Buckingham Palace. Over the course of the war, he is credited with one captured German, two destroyed balloons, 33 German planes shot down, and he recorded the highest destroyed ratio of any pilot in the Allied forces. To this day, he is the most decorated war hero in the history of Canada, the British Empire, and the Commonwealth of Nations. His wounds from his last dogfight would also linger with him. His legs were permanently damaged, and he had limited mobility of his arm. He would unfortunately die in 1930 when he lost control of his biplane during a demonstration for the Royal Canadian Air Force near Ottawa at the age of only 35. His funeral was one of the largest in Toronto's history and was attended by over 2,000 soldiers, as well as three federal cabinet ministers and six Victoria Cross recipients, the mayor of Toronto and the lieutenant governor of Ontario. A total of 50,000 people lined the streets as his body was transported to Mount Pleasant Cemetery. In Dauphin, the elementary school and the airport are named for him. This is Lieutenant Colonel William Barker, and to many Canadians, he is a forgotten hero. Barker was a World War I flying ace and the country's most decorated airman. Despite those honors, however, few people know about his life. Well, that's changing now. A recent biography, together with the efforts of some federal politicians, mean that Barker may get the recognition he deserves. With us now in Vancouver is Wayne Ralph, who wrote the biography about William Barker, and in Winnipeg, Inky Mark, the reform MP from Dauphin Swan River. Mr. Ralph, tell us about William Barker. Who was the man that Billy Bishop called the deadliest air fighter who ever lived? Well, he was a working class kid who was born on the frontier of Manitoba in 1894. 
When he was 20 years old, he uh, joined the military to go to war as a machine gunner, but in 1916, he transferred to the Royal Flying Corps. Mm -hmm. During the war, he flew more than 900 hours in combat, probably one of the highest totals of the war for wow. any flyer. Uh -huh. He uh, was awarded seven decorations, and while flying the Sopwith Camel, he uh, shot down 46 enemy aircraft. He's probably best remembered for winning the Victoria Cross just two weeks before the war ended. Yes. He was wounded in that combat. He shot down four aircraft, but, uh, of course, uh, was lucky to be alive. And uh, when he got his medals from King George V, um, the king said, I've never given six medals to one man before. Now, how is it then, Mr. Ralph, that we in Canada have forgotten who William Barker was? Well, I guess I would retort by saying, who else do you remember besides Billy Bishop? <laughs> if you remember Barker and Bishop, can you remember the other two high-scoring aces? Their yes. names are Collishaw and McLaren. Yes. But of course, really, we only remember Bishop. But so Barker is forgotten and Bishop is remembered, and probably there's some social class aspect to that. Well, let me, let me bring in uh, Inky Mark here, Mr. Mark. Is Billy Bishop, is, is William Barker forgotten in Dauphin, Manitoba? Well, he's not really forgotten in Dauphin, Manitoba. I know he is in Canada. D but Billy Barker was born in Dauphin, that's his, where his roots are, and, uh, and since 1996 I've been uh, uh, hounding the government to recognize him and put him where he should be as a hero in this country. And what has happened when you've gone to places like Heritage Canada to try and get some recognition? Well, when I first approached them, they uh, felt that he had an unremarkable post-war career, which is total nonsense. Yeah, you may not know, he was the first president of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, right. he was also the uh, the first acting director of the RCAF uh, formed in 1924. In 1897, to celebrate the first Ukrainian Catholic service on Canadian soil, the Ukrainian congregation of the area erected a large cross of freedom that represented their freedom on the land. This was the first cross of freedom to be erected in Canada. Originally made of wood, a granite cross would take its place and is currently on display in Trambola, which is just to the northwest of Dauphin. On the site where the cross rests, there is now the Trambola Cross of Freedom historical site, which features the first Ukrainian church in Canada, built in 1898, as well as a pioneer home and a schoolhouse. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms, and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. On July 11, 1898, Dauphin would become a village, and the aforementioned George Barker was its first mayor. Three years later, Dauphin was a town, and its importance in the shipping of grain from the plentiful fields of central Manitoba saw more settlers arrive over time. 
Work began on a new building in Dauphin in 1904, with construction continuing until 1905. Once completed, Dauphin had one of the most impressive town halls in the entire province. The solid brick structure with a large square tower became a defining feature of the community. Designed by local man Stuart Geeky, it has served the community for decades, including as a municipal offices, a courthouse, fire hall, jail, and even the RCMP detachment. The building still stands to this day and is now a provincial heritage site. In 1912, the Canadian Northern Railway built a new train station in Dauphin to handle the growing number of settlers who were arriving from across Europe, Canada, and the United States. The previous station had burned to the ground on January 15th of that year. The Calgary Herald reported, quote, The entire building was gutted, but it was an old one. End quote. It was believed the fire started in the baggage room, but by the time the fire was out, it also destroyed the telegraph office. When the new station was built, and even today, it was considered to be one of the best pieces of Manitoba railway architecture thanks to its decorative brick, turrets, picturesque roofline, and beautiful stonework. Due to its heritage, the rail station was turned into the provincial heritage site, and today, it houses the Dauphin Rail Museum. At this museum, you can look through the artifacts, pictures, and archival materials that relate the 100 years of railway history in the region. At the museum, you will also find a model railroad depicting Dauphin in 1954, a caboose, and a 15-stall roundhouse and turntable. The roundhouse, which was built in 1906, is one of the last remaining roundhouses in all of Canada. By 1921, Dauphin was exploding in size. Building permits had doubled from the previous year, and the community had six banks, along with three more coming in, as well as hundreds of cars in the district. There was also a modern theatre that could hold 700 people and was one of the most up-to-date theatres in Western Canada. One reason for this explosive growth was the British American Oil Company, which had erected oil tanks and filling stations around Dauphin. Around Lake Dauphin, cottages were popping up with 35 built in 1921 alone. Beginning in 1936, the Ukrainian Catholic Church of the Resurrection was built, taking three years before it was finished in 1939. As one of the most prominent buildings in Dauphin, it would become a landmark in the community. The church was designed by Father Philip Ra, who designed churches for more than four decades in Canada. The church was built completely by volunteers, even as the Great Depression raged. The inside of the church is absolutely stunning and should be a stop for you in the community. The paintings inside were all done by Theodore Baran in 1957, and the church continues to stand in the community today and is a provincial heritage site. At the end of June 1947, Dauphin would go through arguably its worst disaster when a terrible flood hit the area, as well as many other areas of Manitoba. The flood took out crops, highways, and rail lines, and killed huge amounts of livestock in the area. All travel into the community ended due to the flood waters for several days. And while no one was killed, there was the story of a hero. On June 24, 14-year-old Cyril Demiria saw 5-year-old Gary Zawada drowning in the rising waters. The water was flowing two feet deep over the road near the skating rink, and Gary had been on his tricycle trying to follow older boys on bikes. Cyril saw the boy fall into the deep water, and he immediately dove into the water and grabbed Gary and his tricycle, swimming them to shore. By the time the flood was done, it was estimated that damages were about $2 million, or $26 million in today's funds. On July 12, 1970, Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip would stop in Dauphin for a short visit as part of the 100th anniversary of Manitoba. The visit was brief and Prince Charles would visit a site along Lake Winnipeg 55 kilometers to the north, traveling by helicopter. Now this wouldn't be the only visit for the Queen though, more on that later. In 1973, Manitoba decided to conduct an experiment along with the Canadian government. The project was to see what impact a basic annual income would have on a community and what changes would be seen. 
along with a control trial in Winnipeg, the saturation site would be Dauphin. The experiment randomly allocated lower-income households to one of seven treatment groups in the community and one control group. The treatment groups received a certain amount of money each month depending on their family size. Dauphin was chosen because it had a population that was large enough to generate enough data, but not so big that it would cost too much. It was also near Winnipeg, which was important to the study. While no official report was created, later studies found that hospital visits dropped 8.5%. There was also a reduction in psychiatric hospitalization and several other social benefits to the program. Mincom was the only experiment in a guaranteed annual income ever carried out in Canada. It was a radical social project. The idea was to give poor people an annual income, but to eliminate the stigma attached to welfare and to encourage people to work. It was an initiative of Ed Schreier's NDP government in Manitoba. The experiment was carried out in Winnipeg and in some rural communities like the village of Sifton, 250 kilometers northwest of Winnipeg. The Catcher family of Sifton was among the 1,300 people who participated. Like many of the Minkham recipients, the Catchers were working people who would not have qualified for welfare. But unlike welfare, the central idea of a guaranteed annual income is that it offers benefits to the working poor. Under Minkham, a family of four was entitled to a guaranteed annual income of $8,800,1984. If a family member earned an additional income, then the Minkham payments were taxed back at a rate of 50%. That is, for every dollar a person made working, 50 cents of the Minkham money had to be returned to the government. The Minkham office, as it looked a decade ago, a maze of computers and files where complex administrative and research-related problems were sorted out. The expertise for the Minkham experiment was found at the University of Manitoba. Among the architects of the project was Dr. Derek Hum, a professor of economics. We're still in the process of analyzing the very, very large amount of data that we have. We therefore don't have definitive answers to how much Canadians would work less if they're given a guaranteed annual income of different generosities and with different taxation rates. The Americans have conducted four similar experiments. Overall, the American experiments show that if we averaged over all different groups, the nature of the work disincentive is in the order of 5 to 10 percent at most. On October 5, 1984, the Queen returned to Dauphin for a longer visit than her brief stop over 14 years previous. Prince Philip had left the previous day, but the Queen would enjoy Ukrainian food at a lunch in the community, and she would also dedicate a new site for the National Ukrainian Festival in the community. She also enjoyed a 20-minute show of ethnic dancing, old songs, and more. Seven men dressed in Ukrainian Cossack costumes arrived on horseback and planted four flags on the ground at the Queen's feet. The Queen, a horse lover herself, chatted with the riders briefly. If you'd like to learn more about the history of Dauphin, then visit the Fort Dauphin Museum. You can explore what it was like when the early fur traders were coming through the area, through the buildings that have been restored on the museum grounds, including a one-room pioneer log house. In addition, over 80,000 artifacts have been catalogued at the Parkland Archaeological Laboratory at the museum. Learning about the Ukrainian heritage of Dauphin is fascinating, and you can step back into the past and see that heritage firsthand at the Silo Ukraina Heritage and Festival site. The Heritage Village is a living museum that depicts what it was like for Ukrainian settlers on the Canadian prairies between 1896 to 1925. The village features three pioneer homes, farm buildings, a church, a prairie school, and a store, 
along with many artifacts. As well, you will find the Rhodes Hall at the site, which is the location of the Ukrainian Musicians Hall of Fame. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Dauphin, Manitoba. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseeth, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.